Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. Don't tell me everything was perfect. Don't tell me there was harmony because there couldn't have been. There, there had to be some kind of way where there was internal strife. And it was natural. And what she's going to learn two years from now is finding somebody as talented as Mike Vrabel is really hard. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Beast. And I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. And surprise, it's Wednesday morning. There's a lot of news that's happened since the end of the regular season. <laughs> Coaching carousel's moving. So we said, let's go ahead and give you guys a Wednesday podcast. Michael, how are we doing, man? There's a lot that's been going on over these past couple of days here. Yeah, Wednesday morning early. And, you know, there's so much that still needs to get done, right? I think the hiring, I think people have to understand, you cannot do in-person interviews with any head coaching candidate until after the 21st, I believe. So, which or the 22nd, which is a Monday. So, there's going to be a bunch of people getting interviews, whether it's Zoom, all that. But the in-person has to occur after the 22nd. So, that process is kind of going, is going to slow things down. But the other stuff is happening and there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that, you know, is going on that people think they know, but they really don't know. Well, what we do know in Tennessee is that the Titans have fired their head coach, Mike Vrabel. He won multiple division titles. They were the one seed a few years ago, coach of the year a couple of years ago. And now he is no longer with the Tennessee Titans. And I don't think I can remember a time, Michael, where we've seen a head coach let go. And the universal opinion is, What's going on here? Vrabel's a really good coach. Like everyone is in agreement that Tennessee likely going to downgrade at the position. How did we get here? It's something we've talked about on the pod going about four or five weeks now, but how did we ultimately get here to the Titans splitting ways with head coach Mike Vrabel? Well, I mean, it's really not a complicated thing. It happens in sports all the time, right? And it's one of those things that Bill Walsh talked about back in 1967, 68. It's one of his pet peeves. It's what he was the reason why he always told me, don't be a scout. Don't be sitting with the owner and talking about things that could happen. And don't create the civil war within your building. Now, Rand Carthon says that he got along great with Rabel. Okay, that's great. You can say all those things. If that's true, if, you're, if that's really true, and you believe that wholeheartedly, then, then you as a general manager would say, I can't get rid of him. He's too good of a coach, right? He's too good of a coach. Like, I got to make this work. Like, I'm, I can't replace him, right? You know, there's a great scene in Mad Men when they're, they're taking over the company and they're all sitting in the room. And you remember that, I don't know if you watched the show, the English guy that came in, you know, he kind of was in charge of it because the British firm put him in. And when they decided to kind of leave the firm, that that Roger and Don Draper and 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 the old guy, you know, they all sat in a room and they they included him. And and Roger's like, well, we can, I don't want to take him. He's he's been the enemy for so long. And the guy, one of the guys said, can you do what he does? 
And the answer is no. So we're taking him with us. You can't do it, right? Who are you going to get to do what Vrabel does? And, and to me, that's your, if you're Rand Carthon and you really understand your job, you can't. So don't tell me everything was perfect. Don't tell me there was harmony because there couldn't have been. There, there had to be some kind of way where there was internal strife. And it was natural because Amy Adams Strunk, she created it. All right, let's go back in time. They fire, they, they fire John Robinson, okay? He wants Ryan Cowling to be the general manager. She listens, she interviews him, and then she listens to other people outside her building. She brings in and she hires Rand Carthon. I don't know Rand Carthon. I'm not saying he's not qualified. I have no idea. But he's coming in from a different platform. He's coming in from a, a different way of seeing the game than Rabel. And so, you know, and, and that's a hard thing to do. And if you want to have your voice, if you want to have this 50-50 split, what she talks about, that's pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to do. And everybody thinks he wanted Cowling because he wanted Cowling to do what, to what he told him to do. When in reality, the biggest problem in the National Football League is understanding the difference between being power hungry and being culture hungry. He wanted Cowling because he wanted uh, somebody who understood his culture, who understood the players he wanted and what he needed. He, it wasn't because he wanted someone to, to agree with them, but now they bring in someone else and Carthon's sitting there and they're not on the same page. I reported this a month ago and everybody was laughing at it. I just didn't think that the owner would sit there and say, I value Rand Carthon over Mike Vrabel, because that's really what she just said. Because I thought she would say, okay, let's figure out a way to make this work. Let's figure out a way to make this work. And she made it work. She gave the power to Rand Carthon. Well, what Amy Adams Strong said in her statement is, as I continued to assess the state of our team, I arrived at the conclusion that the team would also benefit from the fresh approach and perspective of a new coaching staff. So that, yeah, it, it, it sounds strange to hear that because it's been a good run here with Mike Vrabel. Like I said, multiple division titles. There were the one seed a few years ago there. He's a really good coach and everybody has been tripping over themselves saying, wow, like this guy's going to be one of the top coaches. Do you like what do you think Amy Adams Strunk thinks right now, 24 hours later, when everyone is singing the praises of Mike Vrabel? And that's the guy who she just fired. Well, she's thinking that I didn't have harmony within my organization. I, I had conflict and I don't like conflict. I want everybody to get along. I want a collaborative effort. I want everybody to sing Kumbaya. And she and she naively, like a lot of people, me included, think when I was very young in my career, I thought you could find another good coach. I thought they were out there. And what you find is as you go through, there's very few leaders. There's very few men that have the capacity to lead and to think on a high level. Very few. There's very few coaches who see the game from 35,000 feet the Belichicks, the Parcells, the Mike Tomlins, those guys are f hard to find, very hard to find. And, and even when you think you have one, there's a, there's a pretty good chance you don't. Considering the fact that of the 32 positions in the National Football League, seven of them are open every year. So the track record of firing a coach, like, okay, if you're playing poker and you know that one in seven jobs are going to open up, and you have a really good hand, wouldn't you hold on to your hand? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? 
I mean, in decision-making, wouldn't you hold on to your hand? Wouldn't you say, okay, Rand, Mike, we got to make this work. Mike, you're going to have to mentor Rand more. Rand, you're going to have to understand Mike more. I don't know how it was all going in the building. I don't, I don't know that. I just know there was, there was a natural conflict because as I've experienced in my career, when you're not on the same page, or, excuse me, when you're not aligned with everybody, you can say you're on the same page, which is what Carthon's saying. He's saying in his release, Mike and I never had an issue. You can say that, but there's a reason he's gone. And it's because the organization, as the owner says, wasn't aligned. So again, we're back to what the difference between alignment and being on the same page. And this is what the owner doesn't understand. She's listening to people in the league office. She's listening to people outside our building. This is who you should hire. This is what you should do. And what she's going to learn two years from now is, Finding somebody as talented as Mike Vrabel is really hard, is really hard. And if she read history, if she read the Pittsburgh Steelers history of the mistakes that Art Rooney used to make in his career, he, she's falling down that same path. I'm going to hire a guy. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to catch magic in a bottle. We, we did the same thing. We, we let Marty Schottenheimer go, believing that there was somebody else that could deliver what he couldn't deliver. And what we ended up doing is getting worse. Like it was the dumbest thing we could have ever done. Dumbest thing we could have ever done. He was a really good coach. But what happens is, is because you have so many years working together, the stubbornness, the ego, nobody wants to change. Nobody wants to give in. And I think that Amy Adams, I think she felt like Vrabel was the Tennessee Titans. He was, when you said Tennessee Titans, you said Vrabel. I think she wanted to bring her team back to her. She wants her organization back. She wants her franchise back is what she wants here. And I always think about this because we've talked about this all throughout the season, how some of these owners listen to the league office. They listen to the insiders, all these outside sources. And I always think about the Marv Levy quote, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. And he said, when you start listening to people on the outside, you'll start sitting with those people. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah. like you got to have a plan and have your own ideas. And it feels like a lot of these owners here, they've really taken a lot of information from some people who don't really have all the context that's needed to go ahead and make good decisions. None of it. And they really don't understand what they're doing. They think they think naively like we all do when we start out in this profession, you can find a coach. No, you can't. Yeah. You just really can't. It's hard. It's hard to find a global thinker. It's hard to find a coach who understands the difference between strategy and tactics, right? It's hard to do that. You know, I mean, look, Shane Steichen's a really good coach, but he's going to get fired in four years if he doesn't understand how to become a head coach because you can only last so long as a play caller. Okay, so it's the same thing. You know, D'Amico Ryans is going to continue to grow into becoming a head coach. He's, he's going to continue to do that. That's going to be really important. So I, I think that there's this naivete. And so what you'll see is she'll bring other people in and they'll interview and they'll have it and they'll sing Kumbaya and everybody will be sitting there and they will slowly start to get away from the Vrabel program. And all of a sudden, those close games that they used to win start to go away. But the biggest issue in the press release, Femi, is what she said about having a great young quarterback. Mm. <laughs> I, I saw that. You tweeted about that, and there was people in your mentions. I just read some of the replies, which can be dangerous at times. Uh, but I read some of the replies, and people were like, they have the QB settled. And it's like, I, I don't know what your games they were watching. <laughs> to where they think yeah. that they'd have the QB settled. Like, I, and I know we, like, we've never been big Levis fans, and I wanted to give him a chance there, and he had a good debut when they played in Atlanta. But after that game, it's been a roller coaster at best here. And 
it's yeah, I, there's no quarterback on the Tennessee Titans that you could think of long term, at least from what I've seen. Well, I think Rand Carthen thinks that. I think Rand Carthen thinks that, right? I think I think this is what I talked. This is what we opened up this block talking about. This is where where Walsh used to say he's on the field coaching. The owner's sitting next to the general manager. He's telling the general manager, you know, how good the players are. They go out to dinner, have two martinis. The coach is still working. And, you know, the owner and the GM are talking about how good their team is. And the coach is killing them. This is, if you don't think this happens, this happens. And some owners trust guys way, they have complete blind faith in them. They do. You know, and, and, and I think there is a, there has to be a balance it's hard, you know, like if you're, it's hard to, to, to not criticize the coaches, but also criticize what, the development. You got to be really delicate. You have to be really honest with yourself. Which is very strange because Vrabel's been there for quite some time and has delivered results. And Rand Carthon's been the general manager for one year. But I guess if you're if, if Rand Carthon has the ear of Amy Adams Strunk, he's got the ear and he was able to win out in this battle here. We'll talk more about this because there's a lot more meat on the boat. We'll also get into some other coaching news here on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. You know, there's so many layers to this news of Mike Vrabel being fired from the Tennessee Titans. The owner, Amy Adams Strunk, told people about, hey, why they did not trade Mike Vrabel. She said, quote, I was just not willing to go to the back of the line and missing out on somebody we really wanted. So when I hear that, I think, I mean, you could have probably gotten something from Mike Vrabel. But then number two is maybe there's somebody that they already have in mind of who they want to hire that they've identified as the next head coach of the Tennessee Titans. I don't think they have. I really you don't. don't. Think so? okay. I think they're going to go through the process. Look, I think it's really hard to trade a coach. I think it's really hard. I think the, you know, the, you have to get the coach to agree to go first place, right? So, you know, that like I don't think at the end of the day, I truly think whatever happens in New England, I don't think it's going to be a trade related. I really don't. It's hard to do that. Uh, you know, I, I think to me, you know, in New England, they either decide they have to come up with a comprehensive plan for the direction of their organization for both parties. 
And nobody, really, truly, it's nobody knows nothing. I mean, it's radio silent on this front. You don't even hear predictions from anybody. So, and what we heard Tom Curran say that the Mike Vrabel availability doesn't affect the plan for the Patriots. Okay, I think that's probably fair and true. So, but I don't see this as they have somebody in mind. I think Rand Carton feels like he can pick the right coach. And I'm sure Amy Adams feels like they can pick the right coach. So, you know, they're confident that there'll be enough candidates out there that what they can do. I think it's going to be a challenge having been there, having done that, trying to find the right guy to fill in for a guy who's been a head coach, who's been a very good strategist, who's been a very good tactician. It's hard to find those three things. And I think they'll learn as it comes later, especially when you're Rand Carthon. See, when you're the personnel guy, you know, you rely on the head coach for player development. This goes back to the conversation before we hit the break. You rely on the coach for player development. Now, there's that fine line. The, the scouts think the players are better than they are. And as you as a personnel guy, you got to be willing to admit, no, that guy's not good enough. Like, we're, we're just practicing coaching. Like, we blew that pick. Let's get him out of here. Let's go somewhere else. But you also have to be aware enough to say, okay, we're really not developing this guy. Like, we should be getting more out of this player. And you're not attacking coaching, you're attacking the development of the player. And that's a fine line to walk. That's a dangerous slope. But if you don't have that worked out with the head coach, where he's demanding the assistants develop the talent, where he's demanding that the assistants are part of the developmental program and not the general manager. Remember, Al Davis used to say this to me all the time. Make those fucking guys think they're high school coaches. And what he meant by that was he wanted the players, to, the coaches to focus only on the players they had, to stop looking at that, that, that somewhere else. And that's a, hard, that's a hard terrain to navigate because you looked at as the personnel guy as you're just interfering with the coach. And the coaches think you just have shitty, you know, we have shitty players. And there's got to be somebody, the head coach, that bridges that gap, that says, here's where we are. And, and that's the best thing to have. And I think that's hard to replace. You use the word confidence that they could find a coach to be uh, better than what they've had. Like to me, it almost sounds like arrogance a little bit here that it's you're going to find someone that's better than Mike Rabel. Maybe they feel like their process is going to be really sound and I wish them all the best of luck there. But uh, well, I, it doesn't make a whole model, lot of sense. Uh, Femi, it's the art model school of hiring. I'm going to fire you because you do three things really shitty. And even though you do 50 things really well, I'm going to fire you and I'm going to hire Joe Schmo over here who does those three things you don't do very well. Good. But then he only does 10 things well. And then two years from now, you, re you realize you're minus 40. Good luck. Uh, for Vrabel, though, a lot of people yesterday were making the connection, and it's hard not to because, of course, he played there, went into the Patriots Hall of Fame earlier this season. If we get the eventual Belichick-New England split here, is that Vrabel's landing spot, Foxborough going back home to be the coach of the New England Patriots, or could somebody else jump in here and kind of cut the line and try to go ahead and get Mike Vrabel's services? Well, Mike's represented by Neil Cornrich, and so is Bill Belichick. And so if Mike is, if Bill does leave New England and that job is available, Mike will have as much information on what the situation is. But there's also other places. I mean, you know, there's the Raiders. Why not the Raiders? I mean, Tom Brady knows Mike Vrabel as well as anybody. I'm sure yeah. when he sees that Vrabel was available, I'm sure Tom has as much respect for Vrabel as I do. And I'm sure if he has any involvement with the Raider organization in terms of who's going to be the next coach, you got to think about that. 
Arthur Blank has got to be thinking about it too. I mean, he's watched he, this guy coach. So I, I, I think it's easy to connect dot A to dot B, but I, I'm not sure that, that for Vrabel, that may be the best situation. Maybe he finds something better. Maybe it's Washington. Maybe it's Carolina. I don't know. Maybe it's the Chargers. Got a ready-made quarterback with the Chargers. That'd be a pretty yeah. <laughs> nice location to land there in Southern California. Again, so- it's going to be when you get fired like Vrabel did because of your perceived interest in being power hungry when in reality you're culture hungry, when you get fired for that, the next place you go to, I promise you, will allow you to uh, – the, the, the negotiation will not be over money. It'll be over how much control do I have of my culture? Okay, how much control do I have of my culture? If I don't have that, I'm not coming. It's the same conversation Jim Harbaugh is going to have. Right now, he is the CEO of Michigan football. Why would he relinquish being the CEO of his team and building his culture, which ultimately won a national title because of the connectivity of the team, the talent of the team, and the way they fought together? Why would he give up all that responsibility to take a job that he left, that he, that he left San Francisco because they were taking away his culture. Remember? Yeah. That was the feud. It's the same. History repeats itself, right? The same thing that happened in San Francisco is now happening in Tennessee. Trent Baalke was there. They kind of didn't agree on things. Okay. The, the ownership agreed with Baalke. Jim went somewhere else. Successful. Baalke hired Jim Tomasulo because you can find another guy. That didn't go over. Then Chip Kelly. That didn't go over. And then everybody got fired, and in comes Kyle Shanahan. You see how it goes? Yeah. <laughs> and it, was, it cycles through, and, and now Balky's in, in Jacksonville, where you know, things, things might be headed that way as well. Uh, how about the latest though, on Bill Belichick? Obviously, everyone's been watching and wondering what's going to happen in New England with him. Uh, what's the timeline like? I know there was a report that came out earlier this morning, so that Belichick went ahead and told the rest of the coaches to kind of take that postseason break here. So it feels like we're a little bit in limbo here. What's the latest on what's going on in New England with Bill Belichick? I mean, this is truly, I think it's radio silent. I think it's radio silent by all parties. I think, I, I think there's been meetings. I think there was a meeting on Monday. I, I heard there was a meeting on Tuesday. I can't confirm that. I don't know. I think it's a series of ongoing discussions. And I'm sure there is the, uh, it's the Festivus, right? There's an airing of, of grievances, right? You know, one side, the, the crafts have, I'm sure they have things that they don't like. I'm sure Bill has things he doesn't like. And so is there going to be a, a some form of settlement? I, I don't know, because I don't think anybody really knows what's in the mind of the head coach and what's in the mind of the owner. You know, one thing about Bill is Bill is very very, uh, I wouldn't say secretive, but Bill is very guarded about certain things in his life that he he only keeps to himself. Even his closest friends don't know. So he's not a talker. He's not going to just kind of ask. And if you're a friend of his, you know that you don't ask a subject that you know, unless he brings it up to you, you're really not going to talk about it. You know, that, that you kind of understand if you understand him, you understand how to work the friendship. And so I, I think to me, there's he's doing what he feels is in the best interest of what he wants to do, just like he feel the, the crafts are going to do what they want to do. So I would expect at some point we're going to get a resolution by the end of the week. And if we do, I'm sure 
We'll talk about the Lombardi line and we'll talk about it here and we'll post it on the Shuffles podcast feed. So the discussions that are going on right now, this is just, is, is it, I got, I got, put us in the room for that. Like, is it Bill convincing Kraft about, hey, here's what my plan would be going forward? Or is it just kind of like, all right, like assessing what happened and how we got here? Like what, what's going on in those conversations? Well, I mean, I think it centers on, you know, are you going to let me build the culture again? You know, are we going to have, I mean, what's the staff going to look like? You know, are we going to do, you know, how you want somebody to come in and run personnel? Who's that? Again, this is all hypothetical. Like, I think once everybody airs their, their grievances and then, you know, and takes responsibility for their role in the losing season, which both parties have to take responsibility because losing isn't just one person. This isn't just because Mac Jones didn't play good or the kicker was horrible. I mean, there's there's ongoing things here. And it goes deeper than just, okay, here, you know, where's the staff? You know, what are we doing here? What are we doing there? I think to me, once you air the grievances, then if you have any interest in the resolution, then you can work on it. But I think this is the bigger issue here, Femi, is, is this resolution, if they decide what they want to do, are they willing to do it for four or five years as long as he coaches? Or do they, because you can't go year to year. Like you, like you can't go year to year. You can't go through another year of, okay, you know, Bill loses a game. Is he going to get fired, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't think that's a healthy cloud to be going on uh, moving forward with the organization. So then does that mean if they come to some sort of resolution and, and if he were to remain as head coach, does that come in with an extension? Or like, how do you kind of lock in the yeah. fact that it's not going to be just like a year to year trial sort of situation? I think you got, I think part of whatever they come up with, whether it's he leaves or whether he stays, there has to be some form of sustainable resolution or else, you know, you're just going to keep going through that. That's, that is ultimately the case there is right now we have six head coaching vacancies right now with the Titans, Commanders, Falcons, Chargers, Panthers, and the Raiders. Real quick, you are about to head into a break here in about 60 seconds. But if I were to ask you, what is the most attractive head coaching position that's available and what is the least attractive one available? How would you kind of uh, answer that question? Well, you have to answer that question from, from a standpoint of how I see the ability to build your culture, right? Because I am still an accountability person. I'm still work, you know, you're going to have to work hard. I'm not a sing the kumbaya, drink the Kool-Aid. Everybody, you know, remember, I believe committee, you know, the, there's the reason there's never been a, uh, a monument dedicated to a committee. I think to me, if the right guy, if the right person, Mike Rabel or I got to Arthur Blank, I think that right there is the cleanest place because I think he's going to allow you to build what you want to build. The Atlanta Falcons, it's a very, very attractive situation there in an NFC South division. Like, look, we'll be honest, it's been mediocre at best over the past couple of years. And if somebody goes in there and gets that place turned around, maybe they can dominate for years to come. All right, we'll get to some other coaching news as well as the games on the other side. It's the GM Show. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New 
customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So right as we were getting ready to hit record on the pod, we got the news from Chicago that the Bears have fired offensive coordinator Luke Getze and members of his staff. So the Chicago Bears will be going in a different direction moving forward. But also with that news, head coach Matt Eberflus will remain as the head coach for Chicago heading into 2024. He'll still be the defensive play caller, but he is also expected to hire an actual defensive coordinator. Uh, so he'll have to hire an OC as well with Luke Getze gone. And when you read into this, obviously Eberflus is safe going forward. What does this mean for the rest of that offense there? Now that getsy has gone, is the quarterback also gone as well eventually? Well, this kind of tells you maybe they think it was Getze's fault why the quarterback wasn't playing well. I mean, look, let's face it here. Getze's the sacrifice bunt. You know, you remember in – in the Sopranos, which, by the way, Femi, today is yes. uh, it's 25 years. The show came out January 10th, 1999. Happy anniversary. In, in, the, in the anniversary. The episode, all due respect. This is at the end of season four or season five. Season five, it was, you know, where they, you know, they Tony Blandetto kills uh, Phil Leotardo's brother, Billy. And then they're going to go after Chrissy. And Chrissy's the sacrifice bunt. So Tony's going to either give up Chrissy or he's going to have to give up Tony B. He ends up killing Tony B. It's one of the great scenes at the end when he's sitting there with Johnny Sack in the backyard and, you know, they're having this meeting in the morning dressed impeccably at at a six o'clock meeting, Tony is. And then he has to run home through the woods and the bears in the backyard. Love it. But Getsy was a sacrifice bunt. I mean, you know, I I mean, look, let's face it. uh, Easterflus wanted to keep his job and now he's rearranging his staff. Okay. I mean, I, I think, could he find somebody better than Getsy? Good luck. Good luck. Maybe he can. You know, maybe he will. I don't know. You know, I, I'm not trying to defend Getsy here, but if you think Getsy's the reason why Justin Fields wasn't playing well, I think we have to have another conversation. Well, is there a chance that they just clean house offensively? Like maybe they don't believe in Getsy and maybe they don't believe in Fields. Like they just wanted a clean slate with the number one overall pick if they eventually take a quarterback. I, I think that could be true. Like I don't want to read anything more into it than than Getsy's a sacrifice bunt. Yeah. Like they need to change their offense. And obviously Ryan Poles is going to stay. Eberflus is going to stay. They have the first pick. They have a great amount of assets. So – the continuity that they wanted to have is going to be good. Continuity is good if you got the right people. I think Eberflus did a remarkable job of what he was able to do to hold the team together. Defensive coordinator, running back coach, all those things. I think it was really impressive. Really good job there from 
Matt Eberflus. That was a season that at the midway point, we thought, oh boy, everyone's getting fired. But the job that they did defensively down the stretch, they're trading for Montez Sweat and all that stuff. Like they were able to at least field a really good defense and, you know, put, put some scare in some of those contenders down the stretch here. Uh, we also have news in the coaching circles out of New York. This giant story here, it, it feels like it's just, it's made for TV almost here. Defensive coordinator Wink Martindale reportedly cursed out Brian Dable at a meeting on Monday, the head coach, and then stormed out of the building. Giants have not heard from Wink Martindale since then. Uh, they think the expectation is that they want him to resign, but Wink Martindale hasn't said anything. Uh, the reportedly from uh, Jordan Renan, who covers the Giants for ESPN, said that this the crux of the issue was over the Wilkins brothers being fired there for the, some of the Martindale assistants. What can you tell us about like what's actually going on behind the scenes here in the Giants where there's been some rumblings mid-season, but we heard nothing at the end, but now it's uh, kind of come to the surface once again. Well, you know, look, I'm friends with both parties. So I, I, I kind of have an idea of what's going on. Uh, first of all, the Wilkins brothers, Drew particularly, is, is Wink's right-hand man. I mean, it's his right-hand guy. He, he helps him with the protection breakdowns. He helps him come up with the blitzes. And, you know, they just fired him out of the blue because they felt, I'm talking about Brian, that that Wink and Drew were basically just running the defense and it wasn't a collaborative effort. Well, you know, as the great Jimmy Altieri says, you know, this is a paramilitary organization. We're not running the Dave Clark fucking five here, right? So like, okay, you know, does Andre Patterson want to have some involvement here because he doesn't really understand how to attack the protections? Like, what's the secondary coach? Like, you know, there's certain roles that everybody has. Dayball wants to have a more collaborative effort, but he didn't want to fire Wink. Well, really, when you fire his number one guy, I think you basically were saying, I'm sure Wink's going to want to quit, too. Because if you knew Wink, like I know Wink and Brian should know Wink, Wink's, Wink's not going to stand for that. Wink's going to fight for his guys. So, you know, he's going to leave the building in, a, in an uproar and he's going to go and he's got a ton of money on the table. But I think more than anything, I think what people in the league now are talking is, you know, he's he gave up the money because the way they handled this in terms of, of you just don't fire somebody that's your number one guy without telling the guy, this is what you're going to do. Or you don't say, Hey, wink, you know, you and Drew are just basically etching out the staff. Well, understand why they etch out the staff, right? Like you can't create collaboration if ever, not everybody's on the same page. And so you know, I, I, I truly believe both sides are talking. Both sides will come up with it. But Wink, Wink, did, Wink left his money on the table. He left his money on the table. I don't think there's many coaches that would do that because he, he believed in his guy. Nobody, not many people walk away from that kind of job. Now, will he get another job? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will they get a better defensive coordinator than Wink? I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I think there's a lot going on in that building. I mean, Brian fired his best off his his offensive line coach that he brought with him from Buffalo, right? You know that I'm sure that was hard for him. But I think there's a lot going on there in terms of the, how the coach, how the head coach is treating the coaches, uh, the game day, the, the the kind of the volatility that goes on. That I think that I know a lot about, and I'm sure John Mara knows a lot about. And that's got to get corrected, and that's got to get corrected because the you know you can't have you can't have that. And as a leader, Brian being the leader, there's got to be a little bit of poise, understanding, and communication. 
And now you could say, well, maybe he communicated it to Wink. Maybe he did. You know, maybe he did. But to me, if you were in the if you were there and you knew Wilkins is the most valuable guy. I mean, I've had Wink tell me the guy should be a defense coordinator and you fire him without telling Wink you're going to fire him. What do you think the reaction is going to be? Exactly. Yeah, like there can be communication, but if the communication is the end point, then it's like it's no communication. Like it's like you know what I mean. Like you can't just be hey, I communicate. I, mean, I told him that he's gone. Like that what? Since, since we're on the 25th anniversary, I mean, if you don't tell Gloria you're going to be late, you're going to get a London broil thrown at you, right? That's like she's going to react to yeah. it, right? <laughs> and so, like you know, if you want to be cavalier and just show up when you show up, you're getting a London broil coming down the street. Wink through the London broil. Wink walked out. Now. You know, I mean, look, everybody that goes in there now is going to under, trust me, behind the scenes, whatever gets reported, and I'll be called an idiot and a giant hater, but whatever gets reported, everybody's going to know what's going on in the building. And you're going to have to be aware of that. But you said that Wink is walking away from his money because he has one year left on the contract from what I read, $3 million that he's owed. Do you think he ultimately resigns or does this end with the Giants firing Wink Martindale and then he still collects his money? No. I think he's going to resign. I think that really probably the conflict is I'm sure they don't want him to go to Philadelphia. Because I know reliably, reliably, that Philly has the ultimate respect for him, that Jalen Hurts has ultimate respect for him, that, that his blitzes create problems for them. And so if you know that, and I know way more than what I'm saying, if you know that, you don't want him to go down and you don't want him to attack Daniel Jones the way he attacks Hurts. So you want to keep him out of the East. So that there's the debate. You can go, we'll replace you, but we don't want you going to Philly. We don't want you going to Washington. We don't want you going to Dallas. Dallas would hire him in a minute. Yeah. If Dan Quinn leaves, he gets a head coaching job, he'll be the DC in Dallas. They, you don't want that. That's why they don't want to fire them. That's why they want to come up with a settlement. We're going to settle, and it's not going to involve money. It'll be, you can only go to these teams, or you, or you cannot go to these teams because that are listed. The, 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 the rub here is they, they, hold a con, they hold a year of his contract. Yep. So now he could go back in the building and do the George Costanza thing and start taking the, the Super Bowl trophies and moving them around the parking lot and get fired or fired for cause. And then he doesn't get paid, but he's fired. Like it gets ugly then, right? It yeah. gets ugly. But here's where the real issue is, right? When you fired, when you fired Will, Will, Drew Wilkins, when you fired him, you knew there was going to be a chain reaction. This is second order thinking. If we fire this guy and we don't tell Wink, what's going to happen? Well, nobody will walk away from that money. But what happens if he does? What's the probability? Like, you know, read the book Thinking in Bets. What's the probability? What should happen? You know, you got to feel like you know the, the guy relies. He, you're taking away his number one guy. And you fire him without telling him. You think he's going to go peacefully? You think it's going to be a calm situation? Like, think about it. Okay, how do we handle this? It's go, uh, let's, use, let's go back to the Sopranos. Leadership. Tony knows Feech Lamont is a problem. He knows he's a problem. Now, he also knows that Richie Aprile, he learned from it. So what does he do? He concocts a way to get Feech back in prison where everybody thinks that Feech just got greedy and busted. Yep. Nobody thinks Tony did anything. Well, they, That's leadership. Yeah, they set That's him up. leadership. Yeah. He set him up. That's leadership. Because if Tony would have gone in there and just killed Feech... He would have had the same reaction that, that they're having in New York right now. 
So I, I think you got to be, as a leader, you have to be smart. If I make this move and I'm entitled to make it, I'm not saying Dayball's not entitled to make it. He's entitled to make it. But how you make it becomes very important. And now you're dealing with collateral damage. I mean, to quote my favorite movie, Training Day, it's chess, not checkers, is, is what you should be playing there as a, as a decision maker from the head coach. But Wink is not the only coordinator there, Michael, that has kind of reportedly had some issues. Also, Mike Kafka. There was stuff about how Mike Kafka hasn't really liked the setup, that how Brian Dable no, became more no, involved nobody, offensively. Nobody's, nobody's happy, right? And a lot like. of it is because of the emotional. And, and, and I think, to me, it's how people – you have to under pressure. See, everybody thinks Belichick's a wild maniac. On the sideline, he never raises his voice. He never yells at anybody. He never threatens to fire anybody on game day. He's never threatened to fire anybody. You can't do that stuff. You can't do that. You got to be able to lead people. You can't be emotional. I know it's Sunday and it's game day, but you got to be calm with poise. Because you know what happens? Your team ends up with no poise. And we saw that in the Sunday night football game against Buffalo when Brian Dable could barely even speak to the sideline reporter after the uh, unable to get the field goal off in the end of the first half there. All right, we'll get to the games as we wrap up the pod here on the GM Show. It is Super Wild Card Weekend. Can't wait for the six games coming up here. Wild Card playoffs are here. But before we go there, uh, we wanted to play a clip from uh, from from Chris Russo's yeah. show because you, Good. Michael, you were all season long on 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 the Russo contest, yeah. and you ended up being victorious. But yeah. this was a clip. What was it, about a couple weeks before yeah. the end of the season? No, it was two weeks seventeen before the picks. This this is where he was. Just listen to it. It's it's brilliant. It's only his. Nobody could pat themselves on the back better than this guy. Mr. Russo is about a game or so away of uh, putting the seasonal championship to bed. Eddie hit the music, and let's listen to Mike sigh. He hates to hear this, but I continue to just plow along. Mike is 24 and 18 and two, and I am 27 and 18, so now I have a three-win comfort zone with Mike. And more importantly, I have the tee box, and basically, uh, I've dormied Mike, and all I gotta do is have these last couple of holes, and I will be the club champ once again here on the great Sirius XM Friday Pick'em deal. I, I mean, first of all, I love when he went first person. The, 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 third, the third person, Mr. I mean, Russo. he went third person. I, I love when he went third person. Just for the record, he went four and five over the last two weeks. I went seven and two. I lost, I lost a Raider game by half a point, and I lost the Ram game. I lost the 49ers. I, I laid the four and I lost that game. So I was seven and two over the last nine games. Meanwhile, I'm the club champion for the second out of three years, just for the record. Okay. You know, but nobody gloats more than he does. Nobody. And I love him to death. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love his passion. I love all of it. But, you know, I mean, like, seriously, I mean, he expected me to take that slap on the face. <laughs> I mean, he's a showman, that's for sure. There, he said, "I have the tee box, and basically all I got to do is have these couple of holes, and I'll be the club and champ." But and he didn't. 
I mean, look, I mean, nobody remembers this. They're way too young. Gene Mock had a, had a six and a half game lead with the Phillies here in 1964. It's one of the biggest collapses of all time. And it, Mock decided to use two pitchers, Bunning and, and Chris Short, over the games. And he, and he lost and he ended up not making the playoff, not making the winning the title. It's similar. I'm going to start calling him Gene Mock now for managing his team like that. He should have known. You never tempt the, the gambling gods. If, if you start chalking stuff up and you start victory lapping before it's home, you don't tempt fate here. And those gambling gods, they listen. Gambler is always listening. And uh, unfortunately, Chris Russo got the rap. Thanks to the to the Russo show for letting us use that soundbite. But that's 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 awesome stuff there. But uh, before we move forward and preview these wild card games, Michael, uh, this is our DraftKings GM Shuffle betting breakdown here. And it's presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with Coach Shuffle because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Avoid where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. And let's start off with Saturday's wild card slate, the two AFC games. And it all begins in Houston, where the Texans are hosting the Cleveland Browns. Browns, two and a half point favorites, total 44 and a half here. And it's Joe Flacco and his postseason resume against rookie head coach D'Amico Ryans, rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud. You know, when they played this game a few weeks ago with Case Keenum under center, uh, the Texans were in a three-and-a-half-point dog. Now they're a two-and-a-half-point dog, just one point for C.J. Stroud. I think that's a little bit soft. I, don't, I think there needs to be more of an adjustment there. It doesn't look like it's going to get to three. Here's the thing I would say. The last time they played, it was a career day for, uh, for Amari Cooper. 264 yards catch, uh, I mean, made unbelievable plays, right? Yeah. And Flacco threw the ball up the field. and But what worries you about this is Cleveland's defense on the road. We've talked at length about them. And it, can they cover? Can they play well? The five-man line Cleveland employed against Houston gave them trouble. And Houston did a good job of trying to take Garrett out of the game. I, to me, I lean towards taking the points in Houston here, especially if it got to three. Yeah, two and a half right now. That's that's the number that they're going to give you. I think I would lean toward Cleveland just because of the experience factor here. I know things can be tricky for first-time uh, quarterbacks in the well, postseason. Well, let me but. give you that stack. I'm glad you brought that up. Quarterbacks making their first playoff start yeah. against quarterbacks who have playoff experience are 17-35-1 against the spread and 17-36 straight up since 2002. So that stat there that I just read you applies to Stroud, Tua, Mason Rudolph and Jordan Love. Yeah. And, and maybe we saw Stroud in a win and in situation last week and he more than rose to the occasion. So maybe he's kind of the exception to the rule, but the rule will tell you that some of these uh, first timers, you want to stay away from that. You mentioned Tua, his Miami Dolphins are going to be at Arrowhead Stadium taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City now a four and a half point favorite at DraftKings, total 44. And the, the temperature is probably going to be four degrees as well as the point spread here in this game. And we might see below zero by the time we get into the second half. And we got wind, too. So we got cold weather, wind. Tua's never really played below 30 degrees in his career. And look, the bigger issue here is Miami's def Miami's broken. I mean, they're signing Bruce Irvin. They're signing, they have Melvin Ingram. They're bringing guys in. Uh, they signed Justin Houston. They just have – they've lost Van Ginkle, who nobody counts as a loss, but Van Ginkle was one of their best rushers with Chubb and then Phillips. I mean, this is a broken, beat-up team in a bad-weather venue. Now, look, I, I don't think for a moment – that the, 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 the Chiefs have cured their ills because of their win against Kansas City. But I do think they're playing, I do think they're playing better. 
uh, they'll play well against this team. You know, four and a half seems like a lot. I thought it would move, but this is all injury related. Yep, Femi, this is all injury related. Miami comes in decimated. We don't know if Xavier Howard is going to be able to play in this game. Maybe Jalen Waddle, he's not able to go. He's dealing with the high ankle sprain here. And if you don't have any pass rushers against Mahomes, and I know Kansas City has has struggled yeah. in the pass catching department, but if you don't get to Mahomes and he's playing five Mississippi, I, I don't see it going well. I would lay it if I had to do anything in that game. Well, I mean, look, here's the reality, right? I mean, we've seen this Miami team. Whenever they play against good teams, right, Philly, Dallas, Kansas City, Baltimore, Buffalo twice. They've won one of those games, and the one game that they won took 350-plus yard field goals, and they're minus 91 in point differential in those games. Not a good sign going forward now that we're playing good teams in the playoffs here. Sunday morning in western New York, you want to talk about weather. The weather is also expected to be inclement in this game as well. Some wind that is expected, some severe winds, as the Buffalo Bills are now 10-point favorites against Pittsburgh. Totals at 36. Well, I mean, this is could be – I don't understand it. The total's 36. The spread's 10. It was 7.5. It went up to 10 once the Watt news broke. To me, you know, the weather's – this is going to be a game reminiscent of that win game when New England played up there. Who can run the football effectively? Who can play tough with, with tough game? You know, that still helps Pittsburgh out a little bit. I think 10's a lot. I just can't picture in my head where they win the game. But Pittsburgh, they're going to have to make plays. Rudolph's going to have to protect the ball. And as good as Josh Allen is, I mean, can you trust him to not turn the ball over? You know, and I think this game will come down to the running game of Buffalo because the wind's going to affect the game. There's no question. The wind is going to affect the game and the weather. You know, it's one of those I laid nine and a half earlier in the week here just because, uh, like you said, I don't see a, a scenario where Pittsburgh wins the game, barring five turnovers, which Buffalo, I guess, is capable of doing that. If they turn the ball over four or five times, then maybe the Steelers can win. But Mason Rudolph in his first playoff start, I just have the envision of 24-7 in my head of this game somehow goes under and Buffalo still able to cover the spread here. So I went ahead and laid it with the Bills. and I think they go ahead and advance and take care of business. Uh, Dallas, though, Sunday afternoon, it's it's me against Big Daddy. Uh, Sunday afternoon, the Packers and the Cowboys. Cowboys, seven and a half point favorites, total 50 and a half. Well, I went back and watched the Cowboy game that they played uh, in Green Bay last year when there was no Packer offense that was good. That was the Christian Watson breakout game, yep. and they moved the ball up and down the field on Green Bay in the second half. I think they had 415 yards. Uh, they were unbelievable. They were converted third downs. You know, Rodgers only had to throw 20 passes in the game. He was 14 for 20 for 224. They ran the ball 39 times for 207 against the Cowboys. I, I, I mean, the problem I have with this game is I think seven halves just seemed way too much, right? And then I ran my numbers, and my numbers were right around 7.1. So, you know, the numbers say bet Dallas that they usually play these games well. I think this Green Bay team's a little different. I think their numbers are kind of out of sorts because of the way they're playing and moving the football effectively. I think it's going to be a hard game for Dallas. I really do. Yeah, Green Bay's run game scares me. I, I think Dallas is going to have a struggle to stop Aaron Jones and those guys there in the run game. I think the Cowboys, I think this is kind of similar to the Seattle game where it's a shootout and hopefully the Cowboys get the ball last and they can go ahead and pull out victorious. But I think this is going to be a, a nervous one for me Sunday afternoon. Sunday night, though, Matthew Stafford goes back to Detroit. Jared Goff revenge game against his old team, the Rams. Detroit now a three-point favorite, total 51.5. Looks like those three-and-a-halves are pretty much gone off the board. Yeah, I mean, look, the Rams are hot, but here, here's the, what your concern is. One thing Detroit can do is stop the run. 
And the Rams need to run the football. That's what they do. They went into Baltimore, they ran the football, they ran the ball last week. When they can run the ball, their passing game opens up. And I just think this could be a shootout a little bit. I think both teams, the Rams are playing better defensively, especially with some of the younger players. You know, I just think this is going to come down to can the Lions get some stops and get some pressure? And I think they can in a dome with a very, very crowded thing. Everybody's taking the Rams here. I don't know. I, I think the game is going to be an over game, and I think it could be like their Seattle game when they play back there, and Seattle won in overtime. Yeah, it'll be back and forth. Uh, before we get into Eagles and the Bucks, we did want to play this soundbite from 49ers defensive tackle Javon Hargrave was with Philly last year, talking about the differences between San Francisco and Philadelphia. I think it's like more so like um, how people call like the Golden State culture and the Miami Heat. Yeah. Over here is the Miami Heat. Over there is the Golden State because yeah. it's more chill, more relaxed, you know. You just you chilling over here. Nah, it's work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every day, every day you about to get it. Like you know, Cal, Cal. I feel like Cal is like Pat Riley. <laughs> like, like you know, you know what you're getting over here. Like everybody yeah. can't make it over here for sure. <laughs> Niner culture. Maybe we'll have to start it's doing true. that on T-shirts. Well, I'm, I mean, what he's saying, you can see it. The evidence is on the tape. The, the conditioning is different. I mean, last year they had that 70 sacks, 60 from the defensive front. This year they got 43 sacks, 36 coming from the front. But before we go, I, I want to get a couple things in here. You know, the, the, the Eagles' defense is broken. We know that. But one thing about Hurts is people are pressuring him way more, right? Last year he averaged eight yards per attempt. He's down to 7.2. But really where you see it more than ever is his broken tackle percentage. Last year he broke tackles 16% of the time. This year he's down to 7-1. And his quarterback ratings drop. I think Philly wins because Mayfield's not healthy. I think that's going to save Philly. And I think that's why you see the number out to three now at DraftKings there. It was two and a half, two earlier in the week, but there's just pessimism about what Baker Mayfield's status will be Monday night. We'll talk more about that game, of course, on Monday's pod when we recap the five wild card games from the weekend. Michael, have a fun weekend watching the games, and we'll talk to you on Monday.